Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I am your host, Kim Smith, and we are on episode 123. We are in our More Than Conqueror series. Today we're talking about the giant of pride versus the Lord of Heaven's armies. I don't know how many people in ministry are listening to today's podcast. To be real honest with you, if you have the Holy Spirit of the living God living inside of you, you are supposed to be in ministry. But what I'm referring to specifically are those of us who know we have a specific call to ministry. It may be in a paid position in a local church. It may be in a nonprofit ministry, a food bank. Uh, a missions organization, there's every variety uh, possible that God calls us to ministry because in order to reach the nations, including those next door, we need to have our hands involved in a variety of aspects of life because that's where the people are. And, uh, As part of being called to ministry now, well over 30 years ago, where I felt God tugging on my heart, I didn't know what ministry was going to look like. Never in my wildest dreams would I have ever thought that it would have brought me to New Orleans. Wouldn't even cross my mind. I don't know that I knew that Southern Baptist had a seminary in New Orleans um, back when God was tugging on my heart. But either way, God brought me here. And as part of the ministry that God has placed in front of me, there are two passion points in particular that God has just burned into my spirit. And it comes out in most everything I teach. Because to me, it's two of the greatest sins that are holding back God's power from being manifested in the ways that he wants to in order to turn the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls to him in ways that we cannot ask or imagine. And that, we spoke about one of them last week. We talked about the giant of refusing to forgive the giant of unforgiveness in the local church, in ministries, in individual Christian lives is halting the work of the Holy Spirit because you can't have poison of unforgiveness running through your veins and think that you are going to change the world through the power of Jesus Christ. It just is not going to work together. Your poisonous spirit is going to leak out in some way, shape, or form. And we talked today about the number two for me, which, in my opinion, is the root of the refusing to forgive. And that is the giant of pride. I was talking with someone I respect this morning, and, and we were discussing a podcast uh, that has become very popular in Christian circles as of late. And I went through a season where I was listening to podcasts nearly every waking moment that I was not working. But I've taken a little break from the podcast world. I know that I'm doing a podcast. I can't take a break from that side of the world. But I have taken a break from the listening as of late. 
but I started listening a couple of hours ago to this particular podcast that he was mentioning. I knew that it was going to be part of the fuel for today's podcast topic today here on encouraging others and loving Jesus. And I was not mistaken. I plan to finish out the sad tale. Maybe not today, but but sometime in the near future because I want to learn from the lessons that are included in the attacks that Satan (laughs) did on personal lives and on the ministry of the church and continues to each and every day. Many years ago, I was privileged to, and I'm being very careful as to how I word all of this, but I was privileged to be connected with a group of ministers. It was for a very short season of time. But the lessons I learned that are burned into my memory I will never forget. Sadly, they weren't lessons of how to follow the Lord and lead others to do likewise. They were ugly lessons of what it looks like when there are pride-filled men or women filling the pulpits, filling the pews and pretending or attempting it can be either to speak for the living God. It was ugly. And all these years later It still hurts my heart. I cannot even imagine how it hurts God's. The very first commandment is to have no other gods before him. And that is the sin of pride. The sin of pride puts us up as God. Plain and simple. We violate the first commandment when pride, unhealthy pride, is a part of who we are. One of the dangers, there are many, but one of the dangers of the sin of pride is that it blinds our eyes to sin in our lives. We can become so puffed up and we can see what we think clearly the sin in another, but we have absolutely no idea the dangerous path that we are on. 
And sadly, if you are in the ministry, the path you are paving for others. So many in the ministry have been led astray by others who went before them who modeled pride, who modeled, I want to be in charge of a congregation of 15,000. I want, I, 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 Woo! As much as I hate the sin of pride, I just can't even fathom how God does not just strike us dead. Talking about the mercy of God, the fact that he allows us to have another breath when we can't even control that, when we are so convinced of our own status, that it's all about me. I just, it breaks my heart. On today's podcast, we're going to go back to our original text that we've been noting each week, talking about the story of David and Goliath, but we are really going to pick out some verses specifically this week. When we think about pride, or when I think about pride, let me speak for myself. When I think about pride, the very first type of pride I think of is that braggadocious version, where... and. It's funny because uh, I'm sitting here at the moment and I'm looking at the text and all of a sudden I pictured, I don't know how many of you have seen wrestling. So not something that I have seen, not wrestling like where they truly (laughs) wrestle and they go to the Olympics and they know what in the world they're doing. But I mean the braggadocious version of um, wrestling. When I was a kid, I remember watching that on TV and being totally fascinated by it. And my mother saying, that's fake. And I just was intent. No, that, that can't be fake. That can't be fake. But so much a part of that whole drama is at least one, if not both of them, just being this kind of the Goliath looking of, I'm all that and, you know, just get out of my way kind of thing, where it's that kind of pride filled like on display like you want your own billboard hey look at me hey look at me in um in first samuel 17 we've got goliath and it says goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the israelites why are you all coming out to fight he's he, he called i am the philistine champion but you are only the servants of saul do you hear pride already Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. And we've talked about this in previous weeks. The fact that he had this reputation of he had been a warrior since his youth. And he had won so many battles, but I've always wondered, and maybe it's one of those bazillion questions I'm going to ask when I get to heaven, how many he really fought physically, how many he truly fought in battle, and how many he won just by being loud and obnoxious and people just refusing to fight him because he intimidated them so much. That's how my first picture of pride, that's what I think of. 
I think of those that are so full of themselves that like you can smell them coming a mile away where you know that they think they are all that and everyone should bow to them. I hate that. <laughs> like, I hate that. I hate it, especially when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate But I hate it in the business environment, too. I have worked around people that you could smell them coming a mile away. And you see them coming through the door and they are so full of themselves. And they think that everybody thinks they are all that. Well, the people think they're all that, but what that is, is yet to be determined. That's the type of pride that we often think about. And yet pride has many, many faces. I normally don't talk about our weekly assignment at the beginning, but I really want you to just stop for a moment and to do the weekly assignment. The weekly assignment is to humble yourself before the Lord and invite him to search you and know your heart, to point out any offensive way and lead you in the way everlasting. That is from Psalm 139, 23 through 24 that I use almost every week lately, but I also use it most every day of my life, praying for others to just stop and say, God, at this moment, I I am not even going to think that I have full grasp of whether I have areas of pride or not. I mean, unless God specifically has already told you and you like are, you can repent right at this very moment. But if you think, oh, I don't have a problem with pride, step down, bow a knee and say, God, I, I am humble before you. Point out any way in me that offends you. I am not going to even attempt to justify the pride in my heart. I am going to immediately humble myself in front of you ask you to search my heart down to the depths to point out every offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you will do that, God will point out the areas of pride that look like we just saw with Goliath, where you are just a braggart, but also the ways of what would be considered more hidden pride where you don't want to rent a billboard that says, worship me. But it doesn't mean that the other types of pride are any less dangerous. Sometimes they're even more dangerous because they're sitting there and they are hurting your witness for Christ and they are keeping you from being all God created you to be. When you get to the place that you realize that without the spirit of the living God working in you, that you will never accomplish anything of kingdom significance, then you are ready to be used by God. 
as long as you think that there's something you can do in your own great wisdom or expertise, you're going to fall flat. Maybe not in this life. Maybe you won't go through the embarrassment that so many have where they have put themselves on their high horses and the horse left them and left them in the mud. But when it comes to eternal rewards, you will be found lacking. In the story of David and Goliath, traditionally known that way, I want to point out another reference to pride as well as, to me, another evidence of pride. So Goliath has done his braggadocious way that he's done for days, and Saul and the others just run. And David, young David, comes, and he's coming out to check on his brothers. And he hears Goliath, and he's like, who does he think he is to defy the armies of the living God? And, you know, David is just fully committed to God at this point in his life. He's seen God do amazing things. He's not prideful. He's focused on the Lord of heaven's armies, which is what we are talking about in this entire series. Where is your focus? But in verse 28, we see that David has said, you know, what will what will somebody get if they kill this bragging Philistine? And in verse 28, it says, But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Can you hear the edge in Eliab's tone? And he thinks that David is the one filled with pride. And he, he tries to call him out in that way. He thinks that his little brother just wants to be there. He just wants to see. He just wants to be in the midst of everything. And that he is, you know just contemplating evil in his heart is how it's listed in the ESV. But I want to suggest that the pride in verse 28 is not David's pride. It's Eliab's pride. Attitude comes from pride. Is Eliab, well, is he embarrassed that his little brother is acting as though he's going to try to fa face off Goliath and Eliab is too scared to? Is it that he's embarrassed that he feels like his little brother's going to get himself whooped and then, then it's going to hurt the family name? We don't know. We don't know the details. We don't know the details of their relationship. But remember, if you've been listening to this podcast or you've read through First Samuel before, remember when Samuel came to the house of Jesse in order to anoint the next king, who did Samuel think he was there to anoint? He immediately knee-jerked and thought he was there to anoint Eliab because Eliab was the oldest, and he was a handsome fella. And from just a glance, 
he was perfect for a political billboard. That's who Samuel just in his mind thought, hey, Eliab is the dude. But when it was all said and done, the person that was anointed was young David. And Eliab could very well be dealing with jealousy as a result of that. When I was thinking about this passage, it brought me to another passage about two brothers and pride. One of the things that, as a young person, I would hear the story that is usually termed the parable of the prodigal son. In the New Living Translation, they they noted as the parable of the lost son. Uh, When I was at Centrifuge one year, uh, they said it was more like the parable of the gracious father. And I think that's correct because it's more about God and his heart than it is about these two young men. But I want us to look at this. It's in Luke 15, 11 through 32. You can turn there or you can just listen. But in Luke 15, 11 through 32, Jesus has been talking about parables of lost things. And now he's talking about the parable of the lost son. And I, as a young person, it was obvious to me, as it is to most anyone who hears this story, I could see the pride of the younger son. Like, that was a no-brainer. But the problem was, I didn't see the pride of the older son. It was at Centrifuge, and I've got Centrifuge on my brain at the moment because someone I love dearly just came back from there, and, and the youth from my church are getting ready to go to camp, not Centrifuge, but still has me thinking about it. But I remember sitting in a very transformative adult Bible study at Centrifuge. You think it's just for the young people, but it's for the adults as well. We sat through a Bible study, and I remember my little group, and it was just so incredible as we sat and talked about not only the younger son, who usually all the emphasis is on, but about the sin in the heart of the prideful older brother as well. I'd never thought about it. I was a young adult and it just never had crossed my mind. Part of me had just thought that the older brother had every right to feel jealous of the treatment of the prodigal son when he came home. That showed more about myself than it did about the story in particular jealousy. Where does jealousy come from? Well, it comes from an overemphasis on ourselves and our needs and, and not seeing the big picture. So I'm going to read the story, the parable of the prodigal son, and I want you to think about the different faces of pride that you see contained within the story. And I want you to, again, sit with the Lord and ask him to show you in your own life, where are the areas of pride that you struggle with? You may think that it's all about the other person and it's all about what they've done. And you may be holding on to bitterness 
as we talked last week about refusing to forgive, thinking that, well, they wronged me. I have every right to be angry. I have every right to hold on to this poison. But do you? Pride and refusing to forgive oftentimes are two sides of the same coin. Here we go. Verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son sold his father. I want my share of your estate now before you die. Let's just stop there. We're not even going to finish that sentence. I want my share of your estate now before you die. Really? Like the younger son has the gall and the selfishness to demand of his father his inheritance while his father is still alive. How self-absorbed can one be? He is the picture of pride, is he not? The next part is, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, you and I may think, if we had been the father, we wouldn't have done that. And I think most of us wouldn't. But there's a bigger story here involved. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his field, fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. The pompous, prideful younger son has had his pride balloon popped. Not in one event, but in multiple events that brought him to the place where he would humble himself and return to his father and beg for mercy and forgiveness. What a change has occurred in the younger son. May God bring about similar changes in our hearts. May God bring about the same awareness. The awareness that the younger son experienced, where he, as wrong as he had been and as prideful as he had been, he came to a place with the pigs, where he realized, I messed up. And all of a sudden, all that pompousness was gone. And he was willing to literally go face down in front of his father and beg for mercy.
So he returned home to his father, and while he was still away off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. He went from that place of pride to a position of power with having that money and feeling like he could do anything to now pleading for the mercy and grace of his father. How different the church would be today. How different the world would be today if all, all areas of pride in the lives of Christ followers would be exposed. We would spend some time with the pigs. We would get a full vision of who we are in comparison to the God of the universe, the Lord of heaven's armies. And we would truly humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. May it be so. But that's not where the story ends. And for me, that is where it had ended. As a young person, I saw that and I understood that there was a gracious father who would forgive. And I was so thankful. I felt bad for the prodigal son making such a bad choice. That wasn't going to be me. But I left out the rest of the story. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead, but has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. So, so far, verse 25, at the beginning, looks like a good start for the older son, does it not? He's hard at work in the fields. We're thinking, he's the good one. He's the good one. Not only did he not demand his inheritance before his dad died, but he's, he's the diligent one. He is out there and he is doing the work. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Do you think that this brother has been praying for the return of his younger brother, worried about him, concerned about his father and the heartbrokenness that he's experienced. Well, verse 28, which oddly enough was the same verse that the older brother Eliab was referenced in in 1 Samuel 17, says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. 
He was lost, but now is found. And it ends. That's where the story ends. Do you see the pride in the older son? We saw the pride that led to the departure of the younger son. And we saw the humility that brought the younger son back home, back in to the loving embrace of the father. But with the older son, who was also full of pride, just pride under cover, who refused to celebrate his younger brother's return, he refused to celebrate the joy in their father's face, who was so full of, but I didn't do what he did, and I never got the fattened calf, or the young goat in this case. I never got, I never got celebrated. That pride, it's just as dangerous. And the thing is, in this story, in this parable that Jesus taught, the older son doesn't come home. We don't know. We don't know how the story would end. In at least one of the classes that we took at Centrifuge, we were to create an ending. If you were to write the ending of this particular story, how would you have it play out? Would you have the older son take his pride and take the money, the inheritance of his father, and go and do just like the younger brother, just because he was so angry that his dad had celebrated the younger brother's return? Or does the older brother get a wake-up call? Does he realize before it's too late how privileged he has always been to have the fellowship with the Father and to celebrate his brother's return? How about in your own life? How are you doing with pride? If I were to survey those who know you best, and I mean really survey them, where they had to give an honest answer, what do you think I'd learn? What 
areas would they describe to me where you struggle with pride? Are you the person that believes you're always right? And you, you refuse. You will absolutely pitch a fit trying to prove that you are right on some sort of point. Or are you refusing to forgive? Because it was the other person's fault. Or maybe, maybe, your pride manifests itself in, oh, poor, poor, pitiful me. Where all you do is take pot shots at yourself. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not whatever enough. And you focus, focus, focus on you. That's definitely one of the faces of pride that doesn't get called out very often. If somebody walks into a room and says, look at me, look at me, look at me, like we all get that. That's pride. Like we got that. But when it's somebody saying, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me, I'm pitiful. And not in a humble way, but in a self-deprecating way. Where it's all about them. Just all about them. In a knock down a notch way. How has God moved in your life? As you listen to these two stories. These two stories. Which included two brothers. As well as. Goliath, the champion from Gath. How is God pricking you? What giant of pride stares at you from the valley? And you just keep feeding into it. And yet the Lord of Heaven's armies loves you knows you completely, knows all your faults, and yet loves you anyway. Jesus himself knows you intimately, and yet died on the cross, took the punishment intended for you and died in your place. There is no room for one ounce of pride at the foot of the cross. Not one. Thank you for tuning in today. I would love if you would share this with others. You know of people who are struggling with the sin of pride. They may not want to admit it. 
because they may have not come to the place where they realized that they were prideful. It is one of those sins that can be so well hidden because we are so focused on what's wrong with others that we do not see what's wrong in the mirror. And yet it can ruin our lives. Remember, this podcast is free. It is free for you to share, whether it be on your social media, whether it be in an email to friends, whether it be in a link. It does make a difference when you share. I would love for you to go back and share last week's. If you can't tell, talking about the giants of pride and the giants of refusing to forgive, they get me excited. They get me riled up too because I feel like They are two of the greatest strongholds in the church. That if we could break loose of holding on to bitterness and thinking we're all that, God's Holy Spirit would move in ways that would bring about true revival, starting with us in our lives, and moving throughout the world. But until we step out of the way, God is not going to, because he will not honor pride. What is one of the seven deadly sins? He will not honor pride. Humble yourself before the Lord. Invite him to search you and know your heart. Point out any offensive way and lead you in the way everlasting. And let's just see what God will do. Please take advantage of the free Facebook group, Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. Information is in the show notes as well as email me. I would love to hear from you. My email address is encouragingothersandlovingjesus at gmail.com. And remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day.